watching by live stream. We're very grateful for you to tune in and for you to watch us this morning. You can be watching anything you want to watch, but you're watching us. And so we're very honored by that. And we want to honor you in return. And uh, also, I've just had some people ask me, uh, during our social distancing time, how do we give? And so I want to just make you aware of that. Uh, you can mail that you can mail it in. Uh, you can, if you're looking for the uh, address, it's 2801 Southwest 31st Avenue, uh, Miami, Florida, 33133. You can Google that, elevatemiamichurch.com if I went too fast there. And then also, uh, the easiest way to give online if you're not here with us physically is to give by the website, uh, elevatemiamichurch.com. And there's a yellow donate button, and you can hit the yellow do- donate button, and it'll take you through all of the steps that are there. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for the people that are watching by live stream. I just want to bless you right now and we want to prophesy to you and we want to declare to you just as we declared to this service that this is going to be the best year of your life. You're going to have an amazing year that for every setback, Jesus has a comeback and this is the year of the comeback. You're coming back. This is a year of opportunity. Doors are going to open in front of you and your worst is over and your best is yet to come. And so we want to bless you with that and we want to honor you. And so we're, going to, we're doing a new series called Hot Mess. Anybody ever had a hot mess? We're in a hot mess right now. I don't know if you know that. It's a hot mess. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. There's devastation. Nobody knows what to do. Everybody's kind of going back and forth. There's no answers, and it doesn't seem like there's any way out. And I think what is important for Christians in particular in this moment and in this time is to be reminded who we are and what we are. And not just who we are and what we are, but how we are to respond and how God is looking to us to respond in these moments. And one of the things that we are to respond by or one of the things that we're to operate by is we're not to operate by what we see. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. And that Christians are not of this world. We're of another kingdom. And the Bible tells us to not fear the sudden disaster that overtakes the wicked. Or not fear the sudden disaster that overtakes the, the, the culture. There's going to be things, are, tides are going to rise, tides are going to fall. The rain will fall, the rain will beat upon houses. Right? Jesus promised that. He said the rain will fall, the rain will come, the floods will rise, and the house that stands is the one determined by what it's founded upon. And as God's people, we're founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ, are we not? And so our response to this crisis, in our response to this calamity, it ultimately is a testing of our faith. And we have to be willing to look at that and, you know, I... I, I'm a student of the gospel and I'm a student of the kingdom. And that is really, I'm not just a student, I'm a practitioner. So what I preach is what I live. I don't read from a book. I live it by experience. And so I'm pressing into things, trying to discover the new things and the fullness of our faith. And one of the things that circumstances does to us is it reveals to us. And as you study the kingdom and you study the culture and you reflect what God's culture is as as it pertains to particularly American Christianity... Is that we don't, American Christianity does not always reflect kingdom Christianity. There's church culture, there's world culture, and there's kingdom culture. And oftentimes church culture is not the same as the kingdom culture. We're not called to live by church culture, we're called to live by kingdom culture. And part of the church culture is the church doesn't like to be offended anymore. We don't want anybody, and listen, I don't want to offend anybody. But we don't like any word that's said to us that kind of rubs us the wrong way. Makes us feel uncomfortable. And so we have designer churches now. We create our churches to where there's no offense. We don't use the word sin. We don't say anything confrontational or anything challenging into the, per- into the people's lives. And we reap the product of that. We have weak, vacillating, timid believers who have never been challenged. Who 30 years into their faith still nurse on bottles and wear diapers. That's a problem. It's all through the scripture. It's all through the Bible. Paul says you should be on meat by now, but you're still on milk. Jesus says, have you been with me this long and still you don't know me? On and on this goes. And some of the things that this crisis reveals is that we have to humble our pride and allow it to reveal in us the weaknesses of our faith, the weaknesses of our lives. We have to allow this crisis to expose the idols that are present that we can't always see. 
The idols of our fear, the idols of our insecurity, the idols of our, of our, of our, our lack of identity, our lack of knowing. It will expose where your trust is. Your trust is in a government. Your trust is in a stock market. Your trust is in a corporation. Your trust is in your own abilities. Your trust is in the medical profession. What this crisis is exposing is that none of those areas have an answer. The medical profession doesn't have an answer. The stock market has, doesn't have an answer. The government doesn't have an answer. What the government's discovering is that you can't save the village by burning it down. We're trying to save a village by burning it to the ground. And it doesn't work. And so now all of a sudden they're discovering, well, what we thought was the answer may not really be the answer. And so there's all of these unknowns that keep taking place and that the answers to these questions don't lie in the earth. And what believers have to realize is that our, we, we cannot partner with a kingdom that is of this world. We are of a higher standard and a higher calling. It's who we are. We are kingdom culture Christians. This church is a kingdom culture church, period. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Then we've got it all figured out. <laughs> Stick around. We're sure to make mistakes. There'll be, there'll be many of them. But regardless of it, we have set the course of this church to be reflecting of the kingdom culture and not church culture. Church culture doesn't want to tell you that this week's crisis will expose your fear. We all want to operate in a spirit of cooperation. These are the emails I receive. Pastor, we just as pastors, we need to operate in a spirit of cooperation. Cooperation with what? In cooperation with who? Sherry's already waving me down. Don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> I'm not going there. My point is, is that we are not willing to be a Bible. To, a church, our, our, we cannot even receive strong word. So this word today is going to be encouraging, but some of it's going to be challenging. Some of it's going to be confrontational to where you are. We cannot get where we're going if, until we recognize where we are. We have to see where we want to go, and then we have to acknowledge where we are in relationship to where we really want to go. And we have to, we have to look at these things, and we have to be willing to look at these things. Jesus is a rock of offense. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> All who come to me will be offended. Those who fall upon the rock will be broken, but if the rock falls on you, you will be ground to powder. That's not a comfortable word. Where is that in 2020? He offends you not because he wants to harm you. He offends you because he wants to help you. He shows you the speck in your eye. And then he shows you the plank in your eye. He shows you your major malfunction. He shows you your idols, Kevin. You're trusting in something that cannot save you. You're trusting in something that doesn't have the answers. Jesus is the only answer, period. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the only good idea that we should have. And so as believers, we are not, here's Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that we see are temporary. An accurate translation would be subject to change. Okay? So the things that we're looking around at, the things that are around us in our material world will change. But the things that are eternal will not change. And so God is telling us, this, like, and one of the things that's going to happen is that this virus is going to pass. This is just a wave that's passing along the horizon. And if you're a Christian, you should understand that this is just one of many waves that are going to come. The Bible predicts its birth pains of a coming kingdom. And this is a wave. This is just a contraction. And there's going to be many more of them. This is, you know, ladies, like if you've ever had a baby... Those kind of phantom or those preliminary contractions when you're two or three months out, those are nothing compared to full labor pains. This is a preliminary contraction. It's going to be nothing compared to full labor pains when the kingdom is about to come and about to be born in full. Whether it's in our generation or in future generations, we don't know. But what we do know is that there will be contractions. It's going to happen. And what we should do is position ourselves with expectation, believing that God has something in this hour. God's not forsaken his church. God's not forsaken his people. But where we put our eyes, it matters. The Bible says, I will put my eyes upon the hill. From there comes my help. There's no answers. The answers to our current problems do not live in this world. They're not here. We need higher revelation. We need higher wisdom and we need higher revelation. We don't just need ascended wisdom in this hour. We need ascended revelation. We need a revealed idea, a revealed concept, something that sets, apart, sets us apart. 
When God is looking at the earth today, he's not freaked out about coronavirus. He's not freaked out about economic collapse and all of this partnership that's going on there. His eyes are upon his people. The Bible says that you are the apple of his eye, which means you are the very center of where his heart looks and his eye looks. When he looks at the nations, he looks at Jerusalem. When he looks to get something done, he looks to his body that he has put upon the earth. That's what he's looking for. If my people who are called by my name, if my people will humble themselves, not if the government, not if the, the stock market or if the, man, if those doctors would just get an intercession, something might change. If those doctors would just call on God. Yes, that's true. Doctors should call on God. Government should call upon God. But the people who should be leading the way are God's people. That's who he's looking for. The healing of the nation is directly predicated upon God's people interceding and praying. Then I will hear from heaven. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Turn from their selfish pursuits. Turn from their own abilities. Turn from their own desires. Turn from their own visions. Turn from their own ideas and will seek me. Then I will hear and I will heal heal the land. And so God will heap promises to heal the land predicated upon us seeking him for what he wants. And so that's again, that's effectual prayers. We have to, our effectual prayers is, Lord, what's going on here? How do we intercede? Where's the, where, where do we go? That's effectual prayers. But where we set our eyes matter. And Christian, you just set your eyes upon Jesus. He's, that's just it. Jesus is your source. He's never, heaven, heaven's not broke. Okay? Heaven's not broke. Did you know that? Heaven's never been broke. Heaven's never had a financial crisis. Heaven's never had a, a, a medical crisis. Never. That's the world you're bound to. On earth as it is in heaven is the believer's inheritance. Your inheritance isn't of the earth. Your inheritance is from his world to yours. And so if there's no poverty in heaven, then God will not bring poverty in your life. If there's never, God will, if he fed Elijah with ravens. You know the story? There's a famine in the land during the days of Elijah. The heavens had shut up its rain. There's nothing going on. Elijah's laying in a hammock by the, by the brook Kidron. And morning, noon, and night, wave of birds would come, bringing in filet mignon every day, every day, every day. And then when the brook dried up and the ravens stopped coming, the Lord gave him direction and said, go to Zarephath to a widow's house. He used an uncommon means. He went to a Gentile. God's going to provide for some of you in an hour in a way that you don't expect. He's going to provide for you and open up doors for you in this hour. Elijah was, a, Elijah was a prophet of the living God. He was a priest. And he went to a widow, a Gentile woman of Zarephath. If you know anything about the Jewish religion, not the culture of heaven, but the culture of Judaism, that was a big no-no. Prophets of God do not go to Gentile women's houses. So there again you see Jesus at a well with a half-Gentile woman, same thing, same idea. And God sends the prophet to a place to provide for him in a way that's outside of his context. Huh? A lot of Christians can't receive provision because it's outside of their context. It's not the way they want it. It's not the way they've lined their life up. God is willing to provide for you in this hour with ravens if necessary. God is going to provide for you in the future. And he's going to set it up in front of you that not only will you be blessed and provided for, but who is blessing you and provided for will be blessed in the turn. The widow's son and the widow and the widow's son. She said, I only have a small cruise of oil and a small amount of flour. And what is that? And she said, I'm going to make a cake. My son and I are going to eat it and die. And what did Elijah say? Honor the prophet first. That's what he said. Make me a cake and bring it to me first. Well, before you give up and before you surrender everything, honor the prophet of God first. And she made him a cake of oil and she made him a cruise. She brought the cake to him. And the Bible says the cruise of oil and the, and the jar of flour didn't run out through the whole famine. Now, did somebody bring her more flour? No, it's supernatural sustaining. That's what happened. God supernaturally sustained the prophet and the people. She operated in the reciprocal principle of honor. It wasn't even God's people that were doing this. This was a Gentile woman. <laughs> Again, that's a whole ball game. Jesus even mentioned it. He said there were many prophets in the time of Elijah. Why did he go to Zarephath? Isn't that the question? Because God's people couldn't think straight. It was too mind-blowing of a concept for them. 
But God's going to provide for you in this hour. He's going to provide for you in the future. And he's going to provide you with means and opportunities that are outside of your context. And if you're not ready for that, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. But through the worst of it all, Elijah laid in a hammock every day, just swinging back and forth in a hammock. Probably dragging his hand into water. Do, do, do. Uh, where's those birds, man? It's about the time those birds come flying in. Bunch of birds came down. Ravens are unclean birds. Huh? So here again, God is providing for his prophet with a bird that he said in Leviticus is unclean. If Elijah was following religious decrees, he would have never even accepted the meat from the ravens. Because the raven was unclean. And they were not to associate with the unclean. Again, outside of his context. God is going to provide for you and he's going to do things to you outside of your context. Outside of your line of thinking. You need to change the way that you're thinking. And you need to broaden your perspectives. And you need to look at the future knowing that God has opportunities. Some of you, you're in business for yourselves. You have a lot of things that are going on for you. And there's going to be a broad spectrum of opportunities. And God's going to provide for you in a way. And he's going to give you an opportunity. Sometimes that provision is with an opportunity. But it requires faithfulness. The woman was faithful. 1 Corinthians 10. We all experience times of testing. Which is normal for every human being. (laughs) Can I get a witness? We all experience times of testing. And the Bible says it's normal for us to be tested. But God. Everybody say, but God. But God will be faithful to you. In your times of testing. In your ups and your downs. God says, I will be faithful to you. And he says, I will screen you. And I will filter you from the severity, the nature, and the timing of every test and trial. These three verses I'm reading you are just packed with promises. Packed. Lord, in a time of trial, I'm in a time of testing. Lord, I just decree, declare your faithfulness over my life. Lord, be faithful to me. Be faithful to me. How? Shield me from the severity of this. Shield, Shield me from the very nature of this. Shield me from the timing of this. Put me on another timetable. Each test is an opportunity to demonstrate faith. Along with every trial God will provide. Lord, I need your provision in this. I declare the faithfulness of God over my life. I declare my shield. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard. I declare that flood to be raised up right now. Protecting me and shielding me in every way. This is how you pray. Each test is an opportunity to trust in more. God will provide for you. And he will also make a way of escape to bring you out victoriously. That's a promise. I decree my victory. I'm coming through this thing greater than I came into it. I'm coming out victoriously. I will be transformed by the darkness. I will not be dominated by it. That's got to be your attitude. Your attitude can't be focused on what you're going through. Your, Your attitude has to be focused on what you're going to do. Your attitude is what I'm going to do. I am going to believe God and I'm going to come out of this thing victoriously because I will it. I mind will it. No, because the Bible says so. And I choose to partner with the word of God. Whose report do you believe? That's the question. God has promises. Promises are predicated upon faith. It's not over. Do you know that? Who told you it's over? Well, the market's going to crash. The world's going to be in a panic. I'm like, great. I'm not. I'm going to be looking for opportunities. Y'all can panic and I'm going to look for the opportunities. I'm looking for opportunities right now, right now. What can we do? Where can we pivot? What can we do? How can we position ourselves? How can we take advantage of this transference? What are the opportunities in front of us now? We serve a God who calls life from, who gives life to the dead resurrection power. We have a God who no matter what dies, he can bring it back to life and make it better. And he calls what is not as though it was. (laughs) The culture says it's over. Jesus says it's just beginning. He calls what is not as though it was. The world says you're failing. God says you've only just begun to succeed. Your best days lie ahead of you. That's how he speaks to us. He calls what is not as though it was. He doesn't speak doom. I know the plans that I have for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. 
That's his plan for you. Anybody say, God's got a plan for my life? What's it look like? Jeremiah 29, 11. That's what it looks like. Ephesians 1. You're created for good works beforehand. God foreordained you in Christ Jesus. Good works, good deeds, good things. God has a plan and this is what it looks like. He has opportunities for you. Say this with me. It's not over <laughs> until Jesus says it's over. And Jesus never says it's over until I win. Did you know that? It's not over until Jesus says it's over. And Jesus never says it's over until you win. Until you win. God will hold back the circumstances until your victory is granted. He, he will. It's over. It's over. You need to no, We're not calling it yet. She hasn't won. No, not calling it yet. No, he hasn't got his victory yet. When he gets the victory, then he'll let it go. It's not over until he's this is how he is. The apple of his eye. God gives nations for our ransom. That's a promise. Nations. God will bankrupt the nations to provide for his church. He will. He will. Nations mean nothing to him. In, in the economy of heaven, his people mean everything to him. You see, God loves the unbeliever, not as much as he loves his sons and daughters. I got news for you. If you think God is more interested in the lost than he is his own household, you don't know him at all. The bread is for the children. His people come first. <laughs> That's favor. You come before everybody. Everybody. You've got to activate your favor. You've got to be a person in that place to get the things that God has for you in this hour. But you've got to prove faithfulness unto him. You must be faithful in the little. Faithful in the little. Well, Lord, if you get me through this, I'll serve you forever. Serve him now. Well, Lord, if you give you a new job, you know I'll start tithing. Tithe now. If you gave me a million dollars, Lord, you know, then I'll give. You know, I'll, you know I'll give. Give now. That's how people operate. It, our faithfulness precedes. Faith precedes. Greatest story is the story of Isaac. I've quoted it several times the last few weeks because it's a good one. You have to look at the Lord. You have to see God. In the book of Genesis, there's famine. Isaac goes to where the Lord is. He sees the Lord. He encounters the Lord. And then Isaac comes and sows in the time of famine. Now, how do you think Isaac figured out that he was supposed to sow? Because he saw the Lord. He saw the Lord. And he had an encounter, a communing with God. And the Lord talked to him and said, Isaac, sow. Nobody's sowing, Lord. Sow. There's no opportunity now, Lord. There's nothing to reap. Sow. Isaac sowed in the time of famine and he reaped a hundredfold. A hundredfold. You know, minimum standard of restorations double. <laughs> Proverbs says sevenfold, but Genesis says a hundredfold. So it is possible to have a restoration and a reclamation up to a hundredfold. How big's your faith? Some of you, you need to make the devil pay you back, man. You need to be too expensive for him to deal with. <laughs> He's robbed you. He shut you. Jesus didn't cause no coronavirus. This isn't from Jesus. Is, is the coronavirus good? No. Is the coronavirus perfect? No. Does the coronavirus bring abundant life? No. Jesus said, I've come to give you life more abundantly. So if it's not life giving and it's not abundant, it's not from him. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. So if it's not good and perfect, it's not from Him. Your theology's wrong. That's just the facts. You cannot believe lies and partner with despair. So let me give you some facts that you can build on. We cannot partner with lies. We have to partner with promises. Faith is partnering with promises in spite of the circumstances. Anybody can believe when, the circum when it's sunny outside, we can all believe. We can all skip and whistle Dixie or, you know, whatever it is you do when everything's going your way. But faith is demonstrated in times of crisis. That's what Corinthians, that's what Corinthians is saying. It's providing us with an opportunity to demonstrate faith. And without faith, you can't please him. Anybody here want to please Jesus? I assume you would. Right? You love him. You want to honor him. You want to please him. How does he say he's pleased? With the demonstration of faith. What is faith? Trusting him and believing him at his promises. Do you know his promises, Christian? It looks like this. Do you know who you are? And do you know what he has said? Huh? And do you know his power? That was the rebuke on the Sadducees. A lot of Christians know his word, but they're, they're ignorant of what it really means. You would neither know the word of God nor his power. That's what he told the Sadducees. Did they not know the word? They spent their entire life studying the word. 
Yet Jesus told them, for all your knowledge, you know nothing. For all our knowledge, a lot of times we know nothing. We're ignorant of the word of God and his promises. We're ignorant of the word of God and his power. We're ignorant of our own identity. The Bible says, put me in remembrance of my word. And when you quote that, the natural question is, does Jesus forget his word? Is that what he's telling me? I need to remind him. Lord, remember what you said? You know, I don't know if you forgot this or not, but, you know, I, I, I think, you know, God, God knows his word. He said, my word is ever before me. He says, I arise to perform my word. He's not interested in, know, in, in convincing you that he knows his word. He wants to know, do you know it? Do you know what I said? Because I know what I said. Do you know who you are? I know exactly who you are. I know who you are, Margie. Do you know who you are? I know what I told. I know what I've spoken to you, KB. Do you know what I've spoken to you? And if you do, then remind me and show me that you know. Take your rightful position, sons and daughters. Come boldly, proclaim the promises, receive the affirmation back, and then decree it into your world. This is the activation of kingdom power. This is how this works. We cannot believe lies and partner with despair. Here's some facts. God's for you. (laughs) He's never against you. No matter what, he's for you. What can separate us from the love of God? Our problem is our perspective is wrong. Our perspective is wrong. God's not against you. Jesus didn't send the coronavirus. This is not of him. This is broken. This is fallen. This is an opportunity that the devil has used through doorways and gateways of disobedience. How does the devil operate? Anybody know? Through disobedience. Prince and power of the air who now works where? In the sons and daughters of disobedience. That's what opens up his attacks in your life. A lot of times as opportunities that are given through multiple layers of disobedience. It may not even be your disobedience. It may be generational. It may be ignorant, it may be arrogant, but it opens up opportunities. Nations, the devil does the same thing. Disobedient nations. We've passed godless laws in the last five years. I don't know if you're aware of that. Have you seen the laws we've passed in the last five years? And we're susceptible like never before. We've literally torn down the ramparts that have protected our nation for decades, generations. The Christian, the the prophets grow weak. Our, Our people stone the prophets. When someone speaks the word of God or proclaims the word of God, you're being too harsh. You, don't, you need to be complicit. You need to go along. Don't be harsh. Jesus is loving. Like Israel, we stone the prophets. <laughs> and we, we, we operate in the spirit of the age. And we operate in a culture that's not our own. We allow, we, we allow a nation to pass laws that we know. We don't think. We know they're wrong. And yet we go right along with it. Right along with it. No voices of opposition. In no other time in this history would they be allowed to pass laws like they have. Some of you, you're, you're, you've seen a few generations, right? There used to be men of God that would step up and go, you will not do that. And they would take to the airwaves. They would take to the streets. They would call the churches to repentance. They would tell the church to call their congressmen. You are not passing those laws. They would stand, but not our generation. Roll right over. Spirit of complacency, spirit of complacency, spirit of apathy. And we, we, and we wonder, we wonder why our land is infiltrated. We wonder why our nation feels like it's teetering. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to every people. Watchmen on the wall, mute dogs that won't bark. So God said of his people, that's a rebuke. Pastors don't want to hear that. Oh, bless God, brother. We can't say that. No, you're a mute dog on the wall that won't bark. Read it. You see danger, you know it, and you won't open your mouth. You're mute. You're useless. Useless. Set as a watchman to proclaim, to speak forth, and you won't. And you won't. It's almost by consensus the church challenges this stuff. I'm, I'm like amazed. I'm like, am I seeing this? Am I actually experiencing this? I feel like I'm like cognitive dissonance. I'm like having an out-of-body experience here. I've never before known the weakness of the church to be this weak. We are so weak. I guarantee you, I know what the devil, this is like a test. He moves through the land. The enemy finds an open door, moves through the land, and you know what he does? He tests the church's response. Hitler did the same thing. Hitler was of the devil. Everything he did, Christel knocked and Night of the Long Knives, both of those were tests to see if the church would respond, and the church did not respond. 
They told Hitler, you cannot invoke these things upon the people. The church will revolt. And he said, the church and its pastors are hollow logs. They'll do nothing. And so the first thing he did is he went to Jewish businesses and he had the brown shirt smash all the glass. And he stood back and folded his arms. And the church did nothing. Church was very powerful. The Lutheran church was very powerful in in, in Germany at that time. And they did nothing. And then the next thing they did is they took out knives. They're not, they're long knives. And they went and murdered Jewish people in broad daylight in public places. And you know what the church did? Nothing. After Kristallnacht and Night of the Long Knives, he invoked power. You, you can read it. It's, in, it's, in, it's, in his, it's historic. When the church left the breach and left the rampart open and refused to stand the gap. And it's not just the people. It's the leaders. It's the leadership of our house. Leaders have to be strong. We have to stand. We have to do something. Open your mouth, but doing nothing is not the option. Capitulating is not the option. I'm telling you, the enemy tests our land and he sees. He sees. Will the church respond? Violation of our constitutional rights. States telling churches they can't open. You have no right to do that. Religious expression in this country is enshrined. Enshrined. In other words, religious assembly for any reason, no matter what, no, doesn't matter. States, local governments, not even the federal government has rulership over the, cha- over the church. Period. The only thing that the church is under is the Constitution. And the only one who has say over the Constitution is the Supreme Court. The President of the United States can't close your church. Your mayor, your senator, good luck. Violation of the Constitution. Easily challenged in court. Can it be one? It should be one because that's what it says. Yet we capitulate. I get it. We have to have reasonable tolerability. But for states to tell churches, which they're doing in California, you're not going to meet until September. Read it. They're telling churches in, in California, you're not opening until September. You don't have that right. And churches need to collectively file class action lawsuits in federal court. In federal court, and they need to bomb these states to the Stone Age because that's the only thing that they listen to. They need to win it in court, and they need to sue for damages and bankrupt the state if it has to, but you will not do this. We need to put our head on the neck and crush it. It's not the mayor or the governor that's the enemy. It's the spirit behind it. It's a demonic devil that seeks to dominate where he has no authority. It's a spirit of domination. It's what it is. The ancient church called it the lust for power. Lust for power. Jesus is looking at his church in this hour too. I know it makes people uncomfortable. But it gets all weird about it. I get it. I understand. But I'm telling you. Many, many techo you harsen. Every single time throughout history. Every single time throughout the Bible. In times of crisis. In times of despair. God looked at his people. Weighed them and measured them. His people right now are being weighed and measured. Mene, mene, tekel, you parson. Weighed, weighed, measured, measured. Just a thought. What idols are exposed? Greed, insecurity, fear. Where's our hope? Where's our drive? Is our drive to intercession? Or is our drive to CNN and MSNBC and all the prophets of doom and the gloomsayers? Where are we? We're a people of hope. We're sons and daughters of the everlasting king. We cannot lose. We're the victorious people bought by the blood of Jesus. We have in our veins the blood of a lion. Lion blood is in you. Do you know that? Lion blood. Lions fear nothing. Lions have no predators. Top of the food chain, man. A hunter with a gun is the only thing. But as far as anything in its natural environment, the lion dominates. We're the sons and daughters of a lion. It's who we are. Well, I don't know. We're like sheep. We got to... We the sheeple. That's who we are. Rise up. Rise up. We're sons and daughters of a lion. And we need to take our rightful place in our land. And we need to be intolerable. So I you know why Paul told Timothy to preach the word in season and out? Because he knew there would come a time, and he says it's actually Timothy, there will come a time when men will not endure sound doctrine. They will appoint for themselves teachers who will teach them what their itching ears want to hear. 
And so he said, Timothy, preach the word in season and out. Do not dilute it. Do not compromise it. Declare it. Stand for what is right, no matter if it's popular or no matter if it's not. We think we're in a popularity contest. Who are you trying to impress? Trying to give the world a better version of itself. Man, it'll never work. You cannot covenant with devils. You cannot covenant with the spirit of the age. It will never work. You'll be betrayed every single time. Every single time. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We need to be who we are. What does that look like? It doesn't look like much individually, but it looks a whole lot powerful collectively. The church's collective power is, is unstoppable. Unstoppable. A unified church in a unified spirit with a unified understanding cannot be stopped. Cannot. The thief does not come to steal, except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Well, God is sending coronavirus as a judgment upon America. No, he's not sending coronavirus as a judgment upon America. America's foolishness and disobedience to righteous standards and betraying statutes that God has established opens the door for an enemy to come in and pilfer the land. God is sending nothing. But we've opened that we left the door unlocked and let the thief in. We didn't even leave the door unlocked. We've opened the windows, too. (laughs) We've left the car running in the driveway with the keys in it. Door front doors open. Lights are on. You know, that's what we've done. So God has not sent some coronavirus here. This is not what's going on. We've allowed the enemy to come and steal. And the only ones who have the ability to raise up the standard is this people. And we do it real simply. It's repentance. We, we, if you will come back to me. And here it is in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 30. You want to change your captivity? You want to turn your captivity? You want to change your season? This is one of the greatest prescriptions for change. There's several of them. And two really key ones are in the book of Deuteronomy. In the De- Deuteronomy 28 and Deuteronomy 30. Key passages for transformation and God doing something powerfully in your nation and in your, where, in your world. Deuteronomy is the book of retelling. So when you read Deuteronomy, Moses is retelling the people. They're about to inherit something. And so they're about to do something. Moses' time with them is, is ending. And he's saying, look, you're coming into a new season and a new chapter. So let me recount for you everything that you already know. Sometimes, Christian, you need to be told something that you already know. You need to be reminded of something that you already know. We need to be retold. It's, Paul says it's not burdensome for me to repeat the same things to you. We need, to be re- we need the same things repeated to us. We need our identity repeated to us. We need our purpose repeated to us. We need the nature of our God to be repeated to us. We need the summons of God's people to be repeated to us. We need our power to be repeated to us. We need, our per- we need all of these things to be repeated. It says, it shall come to pass. Say it with me. It will come to pass. He's telling the people here, when you see these things that are happening around you, you are my people. You are the discerners of the times. When you see blessing, when you see cursing, the Lord says, ponder it within your heart. Consider it. Why is that blessing going on there? What's going on there? Why is there curses in the land? What's going on there? That's what the Lord is saying. You're my people. When you see a nation rising, consider it from my perspective. Why does that nation rise? When you see a nation falling, you see this thing going on. Consider it from my perspective. We are the mind of Christ, heaven's world. And the Lord says, That you see before you in the places where you have been placed. And you return to the Lord from among the nations. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. So God's saying, no matter what's happening, if you'll come back to me. If you'll come back to me, listen to my voice. Do what I tell you today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next year. Come back to me, to Shuvah. Return to me. Receive from me a word, a calling, a purpose. Do what I tell you to do. You and your children with all of your heart and soul that the Lord your God will turn your captivity. So we need to return to him. And people go, well, we've never left him. I understand that. You never left him. But truly, this is exposing something in you. Truly, this is exposing something in you. It's exposing stuff in me. And I'm not really handling it all so well. Some stuff I'm handling really well. Other stuff I'm not. You know? And what I'm doing is I'm realizing what, what, why... What's going on? What's wrong with me? What's my perspective? Where am I off that I'm mishandling this or that I'm coming across the wrong way or I'm doing this the wrong way? We have to be willing to let this stuff do its work and show us where's your trust? Where's your trust? You say, you know, my trust is I can't trust the Lord. I feel afraid. Well, what's the root of your fear? 
Why are you afraid? I'm just, I don't know. I, I just renounced the spirit of fear. No, what's the root of your fear? Where does your fear come from? Abandonment, abuse, neglect, lies that you've been told, things that have happened in your life that have caused you sudden disasters that you've experienced, and you think this is just going to be one of many other sudden disasters that you've experienced. We go through it, but we don't, we, you know, that's the deal with the believer. We go through it. If any of you are driven out even to the farthest parts of heaven, the Lord your God will gather you. It doesn't matter where you've gone. So God, what he's doing is he's calling his people to recognize something, to seek him, to call upon him. And then he's also telling his people who've turned away from him and have gone to furthest parts, wherever you are, I'll call you back. You know, in this hour, I realize your faith is being changed. There are prodigal people out there. There are prodigal Christians. They haven't thought about Jesus in six months, a year, five years, ten years. You got saved in the 90s. You haven't thought about Jesus since then. You got saved at some Easter rally. You were at church for a while, then you lost your appetite and wanted some other things, and now all of a sudden your world is being shaken and you're discovering Jesus again, and you're wondering if you can come back. The Lord says, not only can you come back, I'll bring you back. <laughs> I'll bring you back. Just because you're faithless doesn't mean he is. The Bible says if you are faithless, he is faithful and he cannot deny himself. He's never going to be faith- faithless to you. When you give your life to Christ, Jesus will always be faithful to you. He will never fail to be faithful to you. You will fail in your faithfulness to him, but he will never fail in his faithfulness to you. He will always be faithful to you. He will never take his love from you. He will never take his love, his, his favor from you. He will never take that away. It's yours now, now and forever. You can walk away from it. You cannot activate it. You cannot receive it or operate in the flow of it, but he'll never take it from you. It says the Lord will bring you back to the, to the place that you once possessed, where your father's possessed, and you'll get the place back that you left. He's going to bring you back. Then he says, but not only that, I'm going to prosper you and multiply you more than your ancestors. Anybody want to be more blessed than their ancestors? Come on. This is his promise. A promise predicated upon an action. I'm going to bring you back and you're going to possess the land of your ancestors. The Lord your God will make his work abound with you. Hold on, this is what I wanted to say. I'm missing it. You will prosper and multiply more than your ancestors. And the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants. And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And you will live. What? The Lord says, I'm going to draw you back to myself. And I'm going to circumcise your heart again. What does that mean? I'm going to cut away the flesh. That's what circumcision means. I'm going to cut away your selfishness. I'm going to expose your selfishness in order that I can deal with your selfishness. I'm going to expose your self-seeking in order that I can, that I can deal with your self-seeking. And he not only promises it to do it for you, if you have prodigal children or children, he says, I'm going to do it for your children too. What? So we just claim that right now in the name of Jesus. We partner with that word, Lord. We return to you fresh and anew. We've never left you, but we want to go to another level. And so we ask you, Lord, to just take us deeper, draw us deeper in your heart, circumcise our hearts in this hour, Lord, change our hearts in this hour, transform us in this hour and transform our children in this hour. And he says through that circumcision, your love relationship is going to get an upgrade. I will circumcise your heart and you will love me. You're going to go up to another level and the Lord will turn the curses upon your enemies. Come on. Those who did and you again will obey my voice and my commands. And the Lord, your God will make you abound in the work of your hands and the fruit of your body. Again, your children, you're, you're going to touch things and it's going to prosper. Your kids are going to prosper. You're going to increase in your livestock and the produce of your good. The things that you manage and the things that you influence are going to increase. If you obey my voice and keep my commands, which are written as the Lord, your God commands you. So God gets excited here, right? This is Jesus getting excited. You're going to call on me. He's like, this is, he starts getting excited. He's like, you're going to call on me. And, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you haven't called on me in a long time. I've been waiting for you and, and I'm going to go get you. And don't worry, no matter how far you go, no matter where you've been taken, I will find you. I will come for you. I will take you. I will bring you back to myself because you call on me. No matter where you are. And I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to give you the home that you once had. Wait a minute. No, I'm not just going to give you the home you once had. I'm going to give you more than all of your ancestors had before you. This is what God is doing. (laughs) Because you obey my voice. Because you listen to me. And when you come to me, I'm going to help you. And I'm going to deal with the selfishness of your heart. And you're going to love me again. And your love for me is going to go deep. Deeper than it ever has. 
You're going to abound in the work of your hands. The Lord your God will rejoice over you. That's what he says. I'm going to rejoice over you. So I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to give you what you once had. But no, no, wait a minute. I'm going to give you more. I'm going to cleanse your heart. I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to help you. You're going to love me. And I'm going to give you. And everything you touch, you're going to be blessed. And you're going to see what it's like to be with me. You're going to see what it's like to, for me, for me to, you have to have a home with me. And he says, I'm going to rejoice over you. There's levels, right? God loves the world. We know that. God loves his church. You're blessed and loved. So love of the world, love of his church. So we're all loved of God, but what, what, how about being a person that God celebrates? Do you know that? There are believers that God doesn't just love. He celebrates them. He points them out. How about that? Who are the ones that he celebrates? Those who hear him and do what he asks. He says, I will celebrate you. I will rejoice over you. I told first service, Jesus has a rock concert 24-7. It's worship concert at the palace. All the time. When his people pray, he silences heaven to listen to the prayers of his people. <laughs> shh, 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 they're praying. This is what he does. God celebrates you. He points you out. He says, hey, Abe Gabriel, come here. I want to see this. I want you to see this. You see Paul down there? I celebrate him. Yeah, Lord, we know. He's your son. No, 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 no. He's not just my son. This is what I want to tell you about Paul. He starts talking to you. He celebrates you. There's a level of believer that you can become. Jesus doesn't have favorites, but he has intimates. And you can be celebrated by the Lord. Your prayers matter, Christian. I told first service, Jesus bathes himself in your prayers. Jesus has an aroma. And you know what that scent is? The prayers of his people. The Bible says the incense is the prayers of the saints. So Jesus takes that incense and just washes it over himself. And he parades around heaven, letting everyone know the aroma of his people. Wherever the Lord goes, the aroma of his people is the prayers of his people. So if you don't think your prayers matter, you don't know them. All of God's promises are conditional. They require activation. This is important. God has a lot of promises. Two passages. I know I'm getting deep and I'm going long, but I'm going to meet us for full mature. I will say that. All right. That's what I will say. (laughs) Jesus is not your promise. So I'm going to say this. All right. Your promises are not, all promises are conditional, including salvation. Salvation is a conditional promise. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord and he's been risen from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise with a condition. People say salvation is unconditional. No, it's not. You have to do something. In order for you to activate salvation, you have to give your life away. When your life is given away to Jesus... He activates salvation back to you. So every single promise that God has for you requires a positioning, an activation, or an act of obedience in some measure. Including all of these things. It requires us to return, listen, do, all of that. So let me give you three quick points on how to thrive. The first point is, you have got to set it in your heart that Jesus is not your problem. Jesus is your solution. A lot of people blaming God right now. A lot of people run in from Jesus thinking there's all, he's doing all kinds of crazy things. That's not true. God is good. We don't run from him in this hour. We run to him. The answers to our problems are not in this world. Jesus is not the problem. He's the solution. He didn't cause coronavirus, but he'll use it. So let's just do a mini theology lesson here in 30 seconds. Where does evil come from? Simple answer. Fallen devil, sinful people, sinful places, sinful things, and sinful systems. That's where evil comes from. Evil does not come from the Lord. It comes from God. Salvation comes from God. Restoration comes from God. But evil does not come from the Lord. Repentance is required. We have to listen to the Lord. We have to return to the Lord. I would just say to the Christian in this hour, the Lord is looking at you. He's calling you. He wants you to come to him. Jeremiah 2.31, I've used this verse in my life a lot. It says, O generation, see the word of the Lord. Generation, hear my word, see my word. Have I been a wilderness to you? Have I been the one that's caused this confusion? Have I been the one that's brought this darkness upon you? Is this who you think I am? You Clearly you do because you say we are lords. We will come to you no more. You're offended at me because you think I'm the problem. You're offended at me because you think I'm the wilderness. You're offended at me because you think I'm, I'm the darkness. And so you say, we're not coming to you anymore. 
And the Lord is saying, can a virgin forget her ornaments? I'm the one who ornates you. I don't harm you. Can a bride forget her attire? I'm the one who makes you beautiful and celebrates you. Yet you have forgotten me days without number. It's an invitation to come back to him. That's what it is. He's not scolding. He's inviting. Come back to me. I'm waiting for you. I'm looking for you. Come back to me. Don't don't run off and think you have the answers. Don't say you're a Lord. If you're my people, come to me. Repentance, ignorance and arrogance. We have to repent of the things that we didn't do and the things that we haven't, that we've known to do. Ignorance is when you don't know what you're doing and you do something that you didn't know was wrong. Arrogance is the things that you've done and you knew it was wrong. Repentance is not a penalty. Repentance is a gift. It's very important to understand. What repentance does is it realigns relationship, right? You know the lanes in a road, we get off the lane. Repentance brings us back into the lane. We make choices. We go off the mark. And we end up in places we didn't intend to. And repentance brings us back. It's the Hebrew word teshuva. It means come home. Come back. Here it is in Hosea. Come and let us return to the Lord. For we are torn, but he will heal us. Are you torn? If you torn, Jesus will heal you. We are stricken, but he will bind us up. Are you stricken? The Bible says Jesus will bind you up. But what is, it, what, is, what is being healed predicated upon? Returning to the Lord. What is being bound up, being healed and mended? What is that predicated upon? It's predicated upon returning to the Lord. So number one, Jesus is not your problem. He's the answer. Number two, you've got to take thoughts captive. I won't read you the verse. You can read it yourself. 2 Corinthians 10.4. We're called to tear down vain imaginations, bring every thought into captivity. You need to not partner with lies. You need to have hope and not believe the worst. The worst is not yet to come. Your best is yet to come. How do we know? Jesus says so. Every voice that does not come from Jesus, his word or his spirit is a lie. I've had people tell me, I'm a natural born pessimist, pastor. And I'm like, well, you need to get in the spirit because the Holy Spirit is anything but pessimistic. (laughs) He's not a pessimist at all. When you get in the spirit, you're like, whoa, what's going on here? (laughs) Totally different world. Jesus is not a pessimist. He's hopeful. Jesus is the truth. The word is the truth. And the spirit is the truth. So anything that does not come from Jesus' word or, the, or his spirit is not true. Faith is, frust- faith is fighting for the promises. I will say this, and then I'll give you my last point. The Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith. Does it not? It tells us in, in Corinthians here that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So we wrestle We're in a wrestling match and we're in a fight. And this isn't like a boxing match. This is an alley fight. The fight of faith is an alley fight, man. It's down. It's dirty. It's gritty. It's in dark, smelly places. So you've got to put a rag on your head and a knife in your teeth and you've got to fight. You've got to fight. And if you think the devil fights fair, you don't know him. That devil will not fight fair. He will come below the belt. He will strike in the back. He'll punch you in the ear. Whatever he's got to do. He's very persistent, but you must be more persistent in standing on the promises, claiming the promises, and contending for what is rightfully yours. Resist the devil and he will what? Anybody? He will flee. You got to fight him. He's going to put his armpit in your face. You know wrestling? Anybody here was a wrestler? Anybody? You, you know how the game's played. What the referee can't see doesn't matter, you know? And so wrestling's up close and personal. There's all kinds of grappling, let's just say. Grappling and positioning in ways that is intended to bring you the most, the maximum advantage. <laughs> and so this is a dog fight, man. This is an alley fight. And the enemy's going to be that way. And you've got to learn some tactics and some maneuvers to overcome that. You have to replace every lie with the truth. The angel of light, the devil manifests as an angel of light. But he also infiltrates your world disguised as you. Very important. The devil's greatest disguise, I won't call it his greatest disguise, but his probably preferred, we'll use that word, his preferred disguise is his disguise as you. He speaks to you in your own voice. You're a loser. You're never going to win. Those people don't care about you. God doesn't love you. If God loved you, why would you be in this situation? If God loved you, he would have done something by now. You've prayed seven times. Nothing's happened. Come on. Isn't it true? Anybody ever heard your own voice in condemnation? The Holy Spirit never talks like that. 
He never talks like that. And so we have to remind ourselves that it's not. That's why people go, I don't think it's the devil. I think it's me. No, it's the, it's the devil imitating you. He's bringing up all of your failures. The old boys would say, when the devil brings up your failure, bring up his. The most epic failure in all time was not recognizing that if he crucified Jesus, it would destroy him. The Bible says if they had known what they were doing, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. <laughs> so you think you failed? The most epic failure in the world was the devil's failure to recognize that what he was doing was ultimately, he was signing his own death warrant. Somebody else said, when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of, your, of his future. You're, you have eternal life. He doesn't. Every time you're allied to or professed and you say there's no way out. No, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You're nobody. Nobody loves you. Jesus loves me on my worst day. Why do we do these, these like seemingly primitive confessions around here? Are you trying to program us, Pastor? Yes, I am. 100% I am. Because I know the voices that are spoken to you. You're no good. No, nope, Jesus loves me on my worst day. You're going to fail. I will succeed and not fail. I'm above only and not beneath. You know, God is for me even when I'm against me. Look what you did. I know I screwed that up again. But you know what? God's for me even when I'm against me. So it's programming yourself, training yourself, training yourself. Stop focusing on what you're going through. Focus on what you're going to do. You should know the truth. Truth will make you free. I would tell you in this dark hour, plan your comeback. You may not know what your comeback is. You may not know what your strategy is, but you may just say, Lord, give me wisdom. Give me clarity. Give me revelation so that I can survey the market and find the opportunities that you're presenting for me. They asked Winston Churchill when the Germans, it was the darkest hour in England's history. And when it was England's darkest hours, the Nazis were bombing England and it looked like an invasion was imminent. They said, what were you doing, Churchill? He said, when they were bombing me, I was planning the invasion of France. What he's saying is while they were attacking me, I was planning the comeback. In the darkest hour, I was planning my finest hour. In your darkest hour, you have to plan for your finest hour. Come on. Let's say it again. In your darkest hour... You must plan for your finest hour. Finally, brothers, whatever thing, think on the good things. This is Philippians. And demonstrate faith. If God's going to have a future for you and he's got hope for you and you believe that, then demonstrate faith. What does that look like? Come back to the Lord. Use this time. Upgrade your hope. Upgrade your knowledge. Deepen your intimacy. Trust in the promises. Ask God for a promise in this hour. Do you have a word for me in this hour? And see, they're going to come from his word. We have promise books over there. Look at one. Roll through it. Find why do we give out promise books? Because it's everything. Promises are the essence of faith. God wants faith. We want him to give faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from the promises. Let's give the people promises. <laughs> so we can give Jesus what he wants. Faith. Find a promise. Ask the Lord to speak over you. Ask him to speak over you. When I got married, we were broke. I'm talking dog broke, man. Like, you know. I don't even know. I can't even come up with a word. Street dog broke, you know? I mean, we had nothing. No home, no nothing. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment with a futon. We were just wide-eyed and in love. Love will find a way. But you know what we had? We had faith. We had nothing, but we had faith. Our faith, even back then, it was so pure. We believed God was going to do something amazing. And so when I got married, I knew. I was like, man, I'm way over my head. In a lot of ways. And I asked the Lord for a promise. I said, give me a promise, Lord. I want a promise. Do you know why? What you need more than anything is a promise. Because when God gives you a promise, he binds himself to it. And when God gives you a promise, it's eternal. He doesn't take it away. You can go back to that and you can go, Lord, you promised me this. And he'll go, yep, I did. Activate. You need a promise. I said, Lord, I want a promise over my marriage. He said, there will never be a need in your house that I will not meet. Immediately. I didn't ask for, I didn't say, Lord, I want the biggest spread of wedding gifts that anybody's ever seen. I want somebody to give me a house on my wedding day. I didn't ask for any of that. I asked for a promise. What do you want, Kevin? I want a promise. Give me a promise. And he said, there will never be a need in your house that I will not meet. <laughs> and he's given me many more. Had a promise over my daughter. So not only are we freaked out, living in a one-bedroom apartment, living on a futon, eating macaroni and cheese with, with tuna fish. This is my life. We get pregnant. 
I know it was more of an, a deep experience for Sherry than it was for me, but nonetheless, we got pregnant. She got pregnant. I got freaked out. Okay. Any, any men in the room? Okay. You're like your first child. She's pregnant and you're tripping. You're like, what am I going to do? You know, you have no idea what's coming. You've never been this way before. And so I went to the Lord and I said, give me a promise. He said, she's not, she's my daughter, not yours. I'll take care of her. It's a little longer than that, but just to summarize it, he said, I'm going to take care of her. He said, she belongs to me. You give her to me. I'll take care of everything for her. And so gave it to her. Her name's Moriah. It means taught of the Lord. Right? The Lord is your teacher. I tell her all the time, I can't teach you much more than I can give you, Moriah. I said, the Lord's going to have to teach you. I tell her all the time, that's who we named you. When she was born, we had diapers stacked in a bedroom. We had more things that we, everything she's needed her entire life. If I look back at my daughter and I track my daughter, my daughter has like cost us financially almost nothing. That's true. doesn't mean we didn't have difficulties. We didn't go through ups and downs. But every single thing in her life was been given to her. I mean, this kid gets upgrades for no particular reason at all. I mean, you know, I'm like, what? You know, she, she got a college scholarship. She didn't, it didn't cost us a nickel. She pretty much stumbled into it. We were able to put her in one of the best schools in Miami, not because we're so rich and eloquent parents, but God provided a way, opened a door, and, and we went. And they paid for it virtually. I mean, you, you tell me. And when you remind him of the promise, he comes back to it. Even now, I know I stand under the light of his promise that in my marriage and over my household, there will not be one need that he will not meet. Not one. Ask him. Ask him for a promise. Ask him. Ask him for something. Ask him for a promise from his word or ask him for something personal. Just ask him. And then bind yourself to that promise and begin to live by that promise. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. I was very jealous when I became a Christian. I was a young man back then, right? And I didn't have anything. Come from nothing. I didn't, I didn't start at zero. I started at negative five. Jesus is my everything. He's not my only thing. He's my everything. Everything. I am nothing, nowhere, no how without him. Nothing. All that I am has come from him. And it's come through devotion, dedication, and pursuit of him. I know where I've come from. And I used to be jealous sometimes. And I'd see these kids that would be my age and they'd be blinging. I mean, today it's worse because it's Instagram. So all these kids, you know, Instagram's everybody's highlight reel. You know, every 20-year-old's driving a Mercedes and walking around with $1,000 bills in their hands. I'm like, yeah, in what world, right? But the jealousy in the, it used to be provoked. And I used to say to the Lord all of the time, I will not seek that of my own hand. I will seek you. They have earthly fathers that will bless them. I have a heavenly father who is greater than any earthly father. You are my portion. You are my reward. You will provide for me. You will guide me. And he never fails. I'm decades into this faith. And I told the Lord, I will testify every time. You have never failed. I mean, we've been through darkness, my wife and I. Like sheer Terror of darkness. <laughs> and she's like, that's right. Sheer terror of darkness. Troubles in the city, troubles in the country. Trouble from false brethren, troubles from here, troubles from here. We've had all kinds of things. You run your finger across my heart, you can read it like Braille, all of the wounds. I've got stab wounds in my back. I've got club marks on my head. I've been kicked more places than not. But God has never been unfaithful to me. He's never been unfaithful to me, ever, ever. And I know that it's, and I say that because he will not be unfaithful to you, ever. The sun will not strike you by day nor the noon by night. I will pass through this fire, but I will not be burned. I will pass through these roaring, raging waves. I will pass through the waters, but they will not overtake me. They will not. Come to the other side. Victory. That's right. Victory. Let's pray this prayer and we'll close it up. We're going to say a prayer. This is a prayer based on Deuteronomy 30. So if you're watching, we did Deuteronomy 30. So we're going to pray back. We're going to partner with that word. And we're going to pray back this word based on Deuteronomy 30. Let's just say it together. If you're watching by stream, say it. Open your mouth. Jesus likes to hear you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. He likes it. So let's pray. Jesus, 
I return to you as your word says. And I break covenant with lies, habits, attitudes that are contrary to your word. I set my heart this day to follow you. I renew the covenant that I have with you. And I ask that you turn my captivity as you have promised. And I declare, I'm going to add something here. I declare that my captivity is turned now. My hour changes. My season changes. My moment of despair changes right now. Kairos moment now. I ask that you take these circumstances and turn them into good. Now let's decree it. I decree that these circumstances are turned for my good. I will prosper in all of my ways. I declare that all of that has been lost will be restored. I ask you, Lord, cut away the selfishness from my heart. Cut away my self-seeking attitudes from my heart. And in doing so, increase the depth of our experiential love with one another. Jesus, where was I? (laughs) I added so much stuff. I decree that what the enemy has meant for evil, the Lord will use for good. All of the plans that have been fashioned against me will be turned upon those who have persecuted me and sought my destruction, just as your word promises. I declare that the works of my hands are blessed because I listen and I obey you, Lord. Jesus takes pleasure in me always. He is forever for me. He is never against me. This truth, I bind myself to and I renounce and I reject all lies to the contrary in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for watching. We're going to bless one more time. Yes, yes, yes. So we're going to want to bless you. And if you don't know what this prayer is, this is the this is the prayer of Aaron. This is actually a, a, a command that God told Aaron to pray over the people every time they were assembled. He told them, I want you to bless them. And so the prayer looks like it. Just receive it. Just open up your heart and receive it. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Be blessed. Have a good week. In Jesus' name.